Hello and welcome to episode 10 of No Blueprint featuring Jessica Matten, more than just an actress. She is also a president and instructor of Lemon Cree, also founder of Native Girls. She has done more than just that. She is a huge advocate and I'm super excited to have her here today, part of No Blueprint. So thank you, Jessica, for being here today. Justin, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, you know, just before we began, we got to know each other a bit and yeah, I'm super excited for this and to connect with you. I first like to pay homage and give respect to the creator for these synergy moments, for us to connect, for all things to align, for us to be here today. I want to also acknowledge that I'm gathered here on the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. So big shout out to our Algonquin relatives. And thank you to all of our guests, to everybody who tunes in. Um, I, uh, the guests are just as important to me as the audience. So big shout out to the audience for everybody who's tuning in. Really excited for this moment in time. And uh, as we dive in, I think it's worth giving another big shout out to Michelle Thrush. And that's the big reason why we connected. Um, I, was, I was really trying to get her on this podcast, to be honest. Oh. But she's got a, so much going on, respectfully so. And she was like, here's some people that you can refer to. And you were the, the one that I reached out to. And here we are today. So I'm really grateful for Michelle Thrush. Amazing. Thank you, Michelle. We love you so much. Big love. So to start us off, um, how are you doing through these COVID times? You know, to be honest, I think it's like everyone else. There's ups and downs constantly. But I, I, my biggest thing of like with anything in life is you have to find a way to adapt, you know, and you just, you got to survive and find the inner strength to just keep moving forward. You know, I think a lot of people have this idea that, oh, because I'm on shows and stuff that, oh, what is she talking about? It's probably easier for her, but no, it's, you know, I'm just a working actor if you think about it. So it's like any other job, you know, it's our work has stopped too. So um, it's just finding different uh, ways of, you know, making money for one, but also I think just mentally and emotionally and spiritually um, trying to navigate this new world. It's, it's been a hardcore learning lesson for sure. How about you? How are you doing with all this? I'm doing okay. I think um, it actually has helped me hyper-focus on some other projects that I've wanted to. I've been able to manifest this no blueprint. Um, it's been something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And I was sitting watching the news and I was like, what is my life going to look like after COVID? I mean, I, I have to give thanks for my health and well-being and same with my family. We're all, we're all doing well. So, you know, that's not necessarily a worry for me directly. So I'm able to kind of explore other things in my life. And finding balance was, was definitely one of them. But I was sitting in front of the TV listening to the news. I'm like, what is life going to look like after COVID for myself? And I just told the creator, I'm like, okay. If people agree to be part of this no blueprint, we're going to get it going. So I reached out and people started saying yes and booking times. And so here we are right now, no blueprint episode 10 with Jessica Matten. I think um, it is a full manifestation of what the creator has meant for me in my life and, you know, what I want my impact to be in the community during these COVID times. Yeah. Before we started this, you know, you and I are, we're talking about the importance of allies within our Indigenous community, and I rely so much on my community, um, not only through these times, but in life in general. So the fact that you came up with this during this is a beautiful, it's a beautiful gift because now we're connected for life. Okay. And, you know, you and I were talking about our intentions behind what we do. And it's always about us trying to move our next generations forward by trying to set a healthy new example. And this is something that you and I had spoken about how, you know, this goes beyond my acting days. I, I got into acting, um, never wanting to become an actor, but becoming an actor, I knew how people have a tendency to put people in the spotlight on a platform and they listen more. So strategically, I knew if I got into this business, people would try to, or they, I hope that they would listen to me more and the, the work that I'm trying to put out there, which is to really get our people healthy again, mind, body, and spirit. And so that we could really build strong communities and, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It is happening. So I'm grateful for all that. Well said, I appreciate you sharing that. So 
let's back up a little bit and share with us what was your family life like uh, growing up? Yeah, it was very yin and yang. You know, my mother, she's um, Red River Métis Cree. Um, our, we come from a very strong, powerful line of people. My 16th grandfather was Cuthbert Grant, who was the first Métis leader of Canada, who, you know, held the rebellion of the Battle of the Seven Oaks. Um, his nephew was Louis Riel. Um, our other grandfather is Peter Falcon, who was the composer for the battles too. So he was a very well-known and respected Métis composer back in the day as well. So I just feel like that alone has always been a guiding force for my family through all the obstacles we've had to overcome. Um, my mom didn't grow up on a reserve. She grew up in the North end of Winnipeg and um, she is a hundred percent a product of what happened to her people. You know, my grandfather, um, he went to a residential school. Um, when he got out, he was in a, you know, he suffered a lot. And, you know, with Winnipeg to this day, there's a lot of racism out there. And there was a lot of obstacles that my family had to overcome. And my mother knew at a very young age that she wanted children, but that she, as much as she loved her culture, she felt pushed away from it at times and ashamed, as I know a lot of people have experienced. And the main thing is that she knew that she wanted to do better by her children. And she was open to the possibilities of a better life for them, even though she didn't know exactly what that looked like. Because when you're in something um, that is painful and abusive and, you know, you're hurting and people are, you know, there's a saying it's, I, I could correlate this in so many different ways, but, you know, how do you know what's better for you if you, if you never experienced better in your life? Mm. And that always stuck with me. So for her to have the courage and the bravery to, you know, get out of the North end and create a new life for her in Edmonton with no support and also building a legacy in her own right. It's, um, you know, I always reflect back on that and, um, you know, and like you, I'm mixed heritage and I've, I've grown up with definitely a bit of an identity crisis about that, but not very much because my mom was so big in re raising us traditional since we were young and my father who's um, Chinese and European mixed was always big on being supportive of our cultural practices too, that it, I grew up with it, not really being an issue within my family, but more so from the outside, you know, I've been like seven years ago to this day, denied gas at a gas station in Metagamy, Quebec, um, you know, one of my mucklucks on and, you know, my hair's flat irons, you know, and straight up, they just went and served me and called me, you know, a squaw and all this stuff. And that is something that I've definitely have experienced quite a bit growing up, especially I, I graduated from high school in Winnipeg, Manitoba as well. So it's nothing new at the same time, you know, you do build a thick skin to this. And I just wanted to make sure as I grew up that my responses changed. And um, so yeah, going back to my upbringing, it was, it was, you know, it was hard. Like at one point we were picking out of industrial garbage cans and, uh, you know, trying to find furniture for our home and to start a new life. And, you know, um, both of my parents were very present in my life, but they separated when I was super young. So, you know, with that just comes a lot of its struggles, but, you know, my mother was one of the first people, if not the first to start the first, uh, first nations modeling agency back in the early nineties. And I was, I was tiny, I was a youth. And that modeling agency called Mystique Models wasn't actually designed to just teach you how to become a model. What it was um, created for was to actually help get women who are suffering domestic abuse in their lives out of their circumstances to take time away and to help rebuild their self-esteem as native women. So I've been raised with this my entire life about learning how to raise our native women up, how to support one another sincerely and genuinely. Um, by the age of 15, um, I started holding my own workshops called Positive Beauty. Um, and what I would do is I would create workshops for other girls my age to come in and make vision boards about the better life that they could have if they just envisioned it for themselves. And again, a lot of girls from broken homes and stuff. And 
you know, I was 15. I didn't really know what I was doing, but all I knew is that we're better together. Mm. And it's something that I've made sure to carry on, on my journey um, in acting now too. You know, there's nothing more important and beautiful than having um, indigenous women in the industry and outside of the industry supporting you and me always being there for them as well and sincerely meaning it too. Um, you know, I never wanted to become an actor. I always had this um, vision that I would be a businesswoman or at one point I was serious about becoming a trauma ER surgeon and uh, I would actually go to colleges and buy the used books and just try to study anatomy on my own like a like a crazy child. That crazy. <laughs> me, That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the... The drive behind that was I knew even at that young age that I wanted to be respected as an Indigenous person in Canada the same way I saw other people being respected. And to me, in my head as a kid, I felt that was the only way I would be able to get that respect. Um, so I had a very eclectic upbringing. Um, I uh, worked at advertising firms in London, England. Um, I ended up getting, the, I was the first one in my family to get a bachelor of science from the University of Alberta. Yeah, I worked in uh, real estate and land development for 12 years. And yeah, in my mid-20s, I decided to try acting, but only because um, the recession of 08-09 happened. And I was trying to move to New York and work in uh, fashion magazines at the time um, on the editorial aspect. And then I couldn't. So then I was like, oh, well, I'm in Alberta. I think I'm going to move back to Vancouver. What's the main industry there? Oh, film. I literally Googled how to become an actor. And, you know, so when people are like, how do you do it? How do you get into it? I'm like, Google it. That's what I did. (laughs) But the key being you stick it out when Mm. when things get tough. You don't give up because with anything in life, if you give up, then your dreams are not going to come to fruition. They're not going to magically come to you. Sorry to say you're not going to get discovered. You know, we all think we're special, but people don't see us as special necessarily. So, you know, it's, it's, um, I think there's so much beauty in the journey and we forget that, especially in our day and age with instant gratification that we get from, you know, our cell phones and technology and, you know, but good things do not happen quickly and they do not happen fast and easy. Like, I want to go back a little bit to Cuthbert Grant, actually, because what's interesting about your lineage there is that he later became the sheriff and magistrate of the district of the Assiniboia. And I have lineage that goes back to I'm Nakota. So we're also referred to as Assiniboine. So I thought that was a really cool connection uh, to learn about that history from Cuthbert Grant, which is part of your lineage. So I'm like, damn, like, is there, is there a relation between me and Jessica somewhere? I thought probably was- second cousins. I wouldn't be right? surprised. <laughs> second, third, fourth, something like that. Um, so really interesting. I thought that was a cool connection with uh, your lineage. And yeah. with some, some of the things that you talked about, um, another cool connection is both of us um, have roots in Winnipeg. I did. I had no idea that your mom is from Winnipeg. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. My I have people from Pegasus first nation, you know, because of the divide with the borders, but we have a lot of family in Turtle Mountain, North Dakota as well. And I'm sure if you're from there too, there's a possibility you would have some relatives there too. Who knows? Yeah. So like my lineage on my mom's side is Nakota from Saskatchewan. So that's like Ocean Man First Nation, but we had to reestablish our community. So my grandmothers went to residential schools and in their later years, my grandmother, Laura Big Eagle, fought for our land back and reestablished Ocean Man in 1990. So she became the first chief of Ocean Man, but we were also the first all-female chief in council in Canada. So growing up with three grandmothers, I have so many female aunties. A lot of my cousins are female. I have a lot of female friends. Um, I've just been, I've grown up around women most of my life. And so I connect easily. I feel like I resonate with their energy and their presence a lot more than I do males, um, which is just interesting. So just to, to flip the script a little bit, what does female leadership mean to Jessica Matten? Oh, well, that's, that's a big one. For, uh, also, I just want to say that's, it's so beautiful how you've been surrounded by a powerful woman and it's helped you to shape the man that you've become, which is 
it's so great. So you're uplifting other women in your lifetime too, because of how you were raised. So cool. What does female leadership mean to me? I think the biggest thing is I always thought, and I've spent so many hours since I was a child trying to figure out just that question. And the only thing I could think of, and to this day is that I have to be the change. So meaning I have to constantly set the example. If this is what I truly want, then in order to be a leader is you can't preach, you have to do. And so my biggest thing in life that has gotten me to this point, to any point in my life has been in the doing and having integrity, I think is a big part of leadership. Um, Integrity, um, do what you say. If you can't do it, say you can't do it. It's that simple. Um, But have integrity behind that. Always honor and respect other people's feelings, you know, but, you know, maintain healthy boundaries for yourself. But I feel that in the, the journey of being a leader is all about integrity, all about finding your own sense of worth and purpose um, through the hardest of times. And um, yeah, understanding really that there is no goal to get to. Your journey is, is, is forever in this life. Mm. The next, if you choose to believe that, but um, to me, that's all intertwined with the concept and the idea of leadership. Um, and also taking into consideration and acknowledging that in order to be a leader requires the help of so many others. Mm. And also, you know, be open to that um, and understand that leadership doesn't mean you're leading alone. You lead as a group. And it's your it's leadership involves many leaders together. I don't know if that makes sense. It sounds, it's, sense. It sounds so wishy woo out there. <laughs> no, look, look, we could dive in. We can, we can back up with your, what you're saying. You are the founder of Native Girls, which is in short, I would say, uh, building up strong warrior women, quote unquote. So in the sense of leadership, explain to us a little bit more about how you got started with Native Girls and what that means to you. Yeah, um, I'm one of the families of uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, so my cousin, Jennifer McPherson, was um, murdered what turned out to be a serial killer. Um, you know, uh, my, my cousins, Pierre Ducharme, um, Kim and Jerry Pegman have been looking for justice and seeking it for years. And when they first um, discovered what had happened to their sister, she was what we call white passing. So at the time my family reported it to the RCMP and were hoping that because she looked white passing that they would take the case more seriously. And they did, they took it more seriously. And as soon as they saw the entire family come by, um, it's interesting how quick uh, the case got dropped. It got lost um, just because it was another you know, indigenous woman who probably had it coming. And she was a wonderful human being. And my family still suffers and struggles with it every single day. And it wasn't even just that case, but my mother previous to this happening to our family was one of the first people that started the movement of the initial inquiries into missing and murdered indigenous women in the country of Canada and um, with the UN, with um, Beverly Jacobs, a powerful Mohawk woman. Um, so I was privy to a lot of information of a bunch of cases when I was a teenager, because my mom would take me into these conferences and her job was to educate the RCMP on what was happening. Um, and for them to get an understanding from not just an indigenous perspective, but a humanized perspective of why our women were going through this and why nothing was being done about it. And I'm forever grateful for the work that her and the other leaders of Sisters in Spirit and the families of Sisters in Spirit have put into this because it is painful. And to witness firsthand the pain that these families were going through, I just felt like I could not be idle in it. And I was, you know, 
struggling to become an actor at the time on my own. But again, everything I do has always been fueled by my ambition and passion um, to help our people. So I created Native Girls just out of, a, I thought it would be a catchy way to draw awareness. And, you know, I was new to this whole social media, Instagram thing. And I figured, hey, I'm, I'm not a face yet, but I could somehow use this social media platform to create awareness of the issue and try to be one of the people trying to move it forward. Um, you know, very much like the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, that's the beauty of social media. It could help to create awareness around the world and also get other Indigenous people from other countries to recognize that um, it's not just happening in their country, it's happening around the world to all Indigenous people, all Indigenous women. Would you, would you say, would you agree that a lot of the work that your mother has done has encouraged you and inspired you to do the work that you're doing? Oh, 100%. You know, my mom is, is, I worship my mom in terms of what it means to be a powerful, um, or not powerful, yes, indeed, but um, a leading woman. You know, and her biggest thing to this day is always bringing people together and understanding that we cannot do it alone. So I am 100% um, the way I am because of how my mom raised me and watching all the change that she implemented for her people in her life, even though she was very much still trying to, you know, find her grounding as well. Um, But I feel like, you know, as human beings, you never really figure out your grounding and, you know, you, you, that's just part of life. And I think we need to remove that concept and idea out of our heads. You know, once I get here, I'm going to feel successful and happy and content for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be happy. You know, no, that's not how it works. It's, there's always going to be something else. It's a, it's a journey. And so, yeah, my mother has been my guiding angel. Her and I created our, nonprofit Lemon Cree, which is a fitness and wellness program that we've been running for officially 10 years now. And that was built out of her getting so um, exhausted and suffering a lot of PTSD from handling so many cases with MMIW. And, you know, to literally see dead bodies and helping families to um, deal with what they're going through, it, it was tearing her apart. And so I, I will never forget, I was at university at the time and I got her call and she was just, you know, hyperventilating, crying about, you know, you, you take on people's pain. And I was just like, mom, I'm like, you got to find a new way to help you, like help our people because this is killing you. And it literally almost did kill her, I swear. And so she came up with this beautiful idea where she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to move our people forward by helping to heal them. You know, I've, I've created, helped to create awareness of what was happening, but now I wanna be a part of healing our people. So we came up with the concept of lemon, just representing energy and um, health and Cree to honor our, our family, cause we're Cree. So lemon Cree, and I literally created the logo and it just, mm-hmm. it made sense and we started we started making it and we ended up in some of the most isolated native reserves across Canada as a result. And we've helped people lose hundreds of pounds, um, help them with their addictions. Um, we've got doctor recommendations and letters of how we've successfully helped them to lower their doses of diabetes medication as well. And yeah, and this is all very much because, um, we don't just go into a community and say, okay, that's your class. Goodbye but we actually mentor and keep in touch with them. They become our family, our allies for life. And we always wanna make sure that they know that we are their allies too. And we have their back as much as we humanly possibly can be for them. Amazing. Um, do, you, do you know uh, Negan? She's one of your instructors. Negan is my sister. Yeah, so I'm my sure mom her. is her mother. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Whoa! How did you know Nikon? Okay, I bring her up. I bring her up for the unfortunate reality of her son Nibin. That was a very hard one for me. And um, I I did a songwriting workshop with him, and just to tell you a story of of Nibin, um, I got sent this music video 
when I worked at Wabanaw, which is an Aboriginal health center. Mm-hmm. And people were just like, you got to check this out, got to check this out. And it was done by um, a gentleman by the name of David Hodges. He does what's called Nuijanan. So he yeah. works with youth in First Nation communities. And he actually ended up doing that music video here in Ottawa at the school that Neven attended. I saw it. So I people, saw the video. Right? So people were like, check this out. So finally, I was able to check it out. And I was blown away by this music video. I was blown away by the young people who were performing in it. And Neven was one of the rappers. I was like, this is cool. And right at that moment was around October. So we ended up having our Halloween party at Wabano. Mm-hmm. And here walks in Neben. And I was like, yo, I felt starstruck. Cause I was like, I just saw you on the music video. Here you are now. And so um at the Wabano Halloween party, you know, I, I got everybody's attention. Um, I played the music video, I played the song, and and uh we all celebrated him. And uh, you know, after that we we kind of stay connected a little bit and I did a songwriting workshop. He was the only one that showed up. Um, so to hear what happened with him uh, really broke me and it broke a lot of people in the community. And so when that happened, uh, you know, I met his mother for the first time, not necessarily formally, but I clearly knew who the family was. And so when I saw Negan on your website for Lemon Cree, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up or not, just because this isn't this like Neven story is is for the family to share. Um, and I just thought that was interesting to see Negan part of Lemon Cree. I think it makes so much sense. So if you don't mind, um, by all means, comment on anything I just said, but um, share with us a little bit more about the type of programs that Lemon Cree provides. Um, and it'll kind of provide some context as to why Negan is, is part of that. So in order to give you context of how we're family with Negan is Negan and my mother met when they, they were both part of Sisters in Spirit in Ottawa. So I've known Negan since I was a teenager. And, um, you know, to me, my mom kept talking about, they, Negan and mom, my mom is Teresa Ducharme. They held each other up when they were going through all that trauma with unraveling all of these cases. And I still to this day feel like not enough credit is given to all of the women who are behind, um, you know, constantly fighting for justice. Mm -hmm. Their hardships are incredible. And for them to have that kind of strength, sometimes I really just don't know how they they do it, you know, but so I've known Neven since he was a baby. Um, Yeah, it's a hard one for me. It's really hard, (laughs) but, but, you know, um, again, you know, we talk about the work we're doing and the motivation behind everything that I do, everything my mother does, um, does, and it's, it's for, you know, angels like Neven. It's because we understand and we don't understand at the same time Sometimes how, much are, sometimes how much are people really do struggle. And people in Canada in particular, um, Canadians don't really understand that there are traumatic, um, sometimes very much so third world living conditions for some of our people in our own country. And because they don't see it, they don't know or believe it exists. Our education system to this day doesn't really tell or show how dire the situation is. And that constantly disappoints me. Um, it's, it's mind boggling to me how we don't have to go save anyone on another continent or help the kids over there when the children in our own country are struggling. We are a developed first world nation. This should not be happening. You know, especially with all this awareness and everything going on. It's, um, I think the the frustrations that I feel is something that's echoed a lot throughout a lot of communities and a lot of families. But again, I always try to shift things into what can we do on the positive side of things? 
and that is what Lemon Cree is about. So you're asking what programs we have. Um, we're very big on, um, we have adult classes um, where they're not intimidating and they're for beginners, for people who are suffering from a lot of health issues. And what we try to do is we try to get them slowly introduced into getting their bodies active again in a very gentle way. So it's for all levels. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just creating that habit of movement. And with movement, with exercise, it um, naturally there's something that's triggered psychologically where you're more, you're more motivated to um, seek how to eat healthier. So then becomes not only a physical thing, it's also internal of what you're putting into yourself. And what they say, food is medicine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's an amazing thing to see how um, the physicality of getting well translates into you feeding yourself with medicine as opposed to um, poison. And, you know, as you know, poison can take many forms, many shapes. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So um, that is our our biggest classes. It's about yoga. It's about sound therapy. Um, My mother is actually holding a new class called um, Food Talk. So it's, it's about, you know, through quarantine, uh, a lot of people are, um, you know, emotionally eating um, and there's new challenges that have arisen from COVID, which is um, overeating, what kind of foods are you eating, but having a free and open discussion about, um, you know, just, just an open support group, literally of talking about um, what kind of poisons have you been feeding yourself recently, but with non-judgment a non-judgmental setting, yeah. you know, because we're all struggling through it. We're all um, going through it. So there is absolutely no judgment. Um, mm. What I specifically focus on um, with Lemon Cree is I run the youth workshops, which is um, when I'm not working on set, I love to teach other Indigenous youth how to become working actors. So um, I want to see more Indigenous people on screen, you know, and I always believe and I believe that is my job and in the what I have created in the industry so far staying in my lane is um, a strong indigenous woman. Um, I've been asked many times to you know take off my clothes or do these really sexy roles and my agents know that Jess is a hard pass. She won't even like go there um, because I'm I'm very big on I'm I'm very cognizant of making sure that I'm choosing roles that doesn't necessarily over sexualize indigenous women to a point that um, that has a trickle effect into how audiences and populations that don't understand what indigenous people are about, that they feel that we're just like these sexy vixen things. Mm. Um, That's not the message I'm trying to put out. So it's like, you know, even with my Instagram, I'm very cognizant of not, you know, and I don't judge it. If that's your thing, you do it. Um, Your body is yours and I support it. But for myself, I'm not big on putting, you know, booty shots or anything because I feel like I have a responsibility to my community to, um, again, lead through example. So, um, but what I, what I do with these youth programs with Lemon Cree is I make sure that we're always talking about uh, goal setting. So again, I, I told you about nothing happens if you're not doing it. Mm. So I, I literally love to get to the heart of that and what that means and to really guide them, you know, in, in the business aspect of the film industry and not necessarily acting, but producing, directing, story writing. I, I just want to get them inspired to think outside of maybe what they have yet to discover in life. I think speaking of leadership in the community is a great segue to your character in Tribal. And we've been talking about leadership this entire time. And you've also mentioned how you have specific roles that reflect your principles and, and the things that you believe in. And your role on tribal, I think, is, is such a, an important thing to discuss because tribal is an amazing series that if you haven't seen it, you got to go check it out. It's on APTN, Lumni. Um, you can get a free trial. And I use that free trial just to watch tribal. Um, I was totally inspired by it. And I loved the dynamic between the tribal police and the city police. And 
from what I've learned from you is that there's actually differences between jurisdictions of tribal police. They're not technically allowed to police in the city and city police are not technically allowed to police on the First Nation communities on the rest. So if you don't mind uh, sharing a with us a little bit about tribal and what it means to you being that character as, as the chief um, of the tribal police. Uh, first of all, I have to give, you know, I owe it all to the creator of the show, Ronnie Scott, who was the creator of the other TV show, Blackstone. Mm, um, right. Yeah, and that's how I met him. Uh, Ron came to me uh, maybe five years ago after we had finished Blackstone. I was on the last two seasons of it. And I remember getting a call from him out of the blue one day. And he's like, hey, Jess. I was like, hey. He's like, remember I told you I wanted to work with you again? And I was like, yeah, I thought you were just saying that in passing though. I didn't know you actually meant it. He's like, no, 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 I have this idea for a show and I want you to be the lead. And I was like, what? And I was like, he's, so again, it's about, you know, showing up prepared, doing your best, but showing up and doing the work. So he really appreciated how prepared I was on set. And I guess that translated into leaving that good of an impression that you want to work with me again. And I remember he was like, yeah, yeah, I got this idea for a cop, but um, she's not going to be the stereotypical, like broken, beaten down. It's um, it's her Caucasian person that's going to have these issues because I want to I want to change that dialogue and that story that's always ongoing in Hollywood is that the broken Indian person, you know, and I was like, wow, this sounds amazing. Yeah. Keep me posted. OK, bye. Click. I don't hear him again for two years. <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah. One thing I love about Ron, he does not mess around. And this is what I go back to about what it means to be a leader and having mm. integrity. People have good intentions and say things and make promises. But my biggest thing too, and what I'm learning from other leaders like Ron, is don't say too much until you know for sure and that you could deliver. Mm. Um, you know, that was that was a very powerful lesson that I learned. Um just through observing Ron and how he dealt with that. So I knew when I saw his caller ID come up on my cell phone two years later on that this was serious, right. you know? And he was like, yeah, you remember that pilot I talked to you about? I'm like, yeah, it's so nice to hear your voice two years later. He's like, yeah, we're ready to go. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, we're greenlit, we're ready to go. And so he, the creation of Sam, Wib Sam Wibburn on Tribal is very much Ron. You know, um, the thing as actors is we're puppets. It's our job to infuse an essence of a spirit into a character. But I have to give credit to Ron for that. Like that, Sam is his invention. Sam, at the same time, is a manifestation of what I dreamed of portraying on TV. Wow. You know, and you and I had spoken about uh, vision boards. I'm getting kind of carried off here, but... Good. I just wanted to share this about yeah. the power of manifestation and vision boards is um, when I was starting off acting, I had zero credits and I uh, went on IMDb, which is uh, where actors have a list of all the TV shows and film credits they've ever worked on. I had zero. So I photoshopped my first gig, which I wanted to be Blackstone because I've known some of the castmates since I was a child. And I figured, oh, that would, that would make me feel more comfortable and not so nervous. And I figured, you know, it would be great to have that as my starting point because of, of the underlying purpose of why I do what I do and the kind of indigenous actress I want to represent. And then I literally wrote, I, and I didn't know where I would come from. I said, I want to be that tough cop. I want to be, you know, a strong indigenous cop. And I want to be one of the first ones, if not the first. So that's what I mean. Life is beautiful. And, um, yeah, so there's so much strength in that. So I got carried away. Did I answer your question? <laughs> you did. No, you did. You're you're so I was explaining about how we've been discussing leadership and how your lead role in tribal was also a strong leadership role working for being the chief of police for tribal, the tribal police. Yeah. And you just kind of went on to explain how you've manifested that. And I think this is a great chance for us to kind of just insert this is that this is what got me excited to talk to jessica matten is because she's not just a, an actress that you see on screen she dives deep into these characters so i think instead of hearing it from me what goes into 
um, getting into character for Jessica? Like what kind of research do you do and how much of that character sticks with you considering that you're so intentional about the roles that you choose? I really do feel in a lot of ways that my ancestors are behind me because I'm very much not my characters on screen um, to a point where people are surprised and they're like, oh, you're way nicer than I thought, or you come off more la 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 in real life. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I don't know how to explain it sometimes, but I think you guys understand on a spiritual level when you know that your ancestors are behind you mm. and they're behind you with the message and intention that you're trying to create and put out there. And there's just something that comes over me. Um, there's a bit of anger in there. Um, there's a lot of a warrior spirit in there. Where that comes from, I swear it's in our blood. Mm. I, you know, I've people have asked me this so many times. Where does that come from? And that's all I could think about. And it has nothing to do with the hardships of my upbringing at all. It's, um, it's something that just happens and I make it sound a lot easier than it is, but in moments where I have scenes where, you know, it's, it's kind of like a reckoning and there's a lot of truth. I just think back to everything that not I had to go through in life, but what my family had to go through in order to be here, what it meant to be a survivor. Mm. And that's what I mean about there's something with my ancestors connected to me behind these characters. And I think it's not coincidental that I end up getting these kind of characters too. Um, there's in terms of like the acting side of the research that goes into it. Um, I sat down with some female police officers in Toronto um, and I also spoke with some indigenous police officers too. And it was very interesting. I will note the one major difference was I asked the, the Caucasian uh, police officer, had she encountered any sexual harassment or any of that macho boys club? Mm. And she was very honest. She was like, no, she's like, I'm one of the dudes. I was like, that's cool. That's awesome. Respect. I asked the indigenous female who used to be a cop about her experiences completely different right she actually had to leave because of the sexual harassment of um being over sexualized um being this you know the sexy indian that joined us and that was very that was new information to me and that broke my heart um that as indigenous people even in um you know the police force that there's there's so many obstacles you have to overcome. And on top of it, just being a woman in general, joining somewhat of a boys club, you know, and I, I can't speak that this is the case for, you know, all uh, police stations. And, you know, I'm not saying that at all, but um, just to, you know, attest to what my, my um, person I was interviewing was telling me, um, definitely fueled the character of how I wanted her to be strong. Um, you know, being a tribal cop, you definitely see quite a bit to a point where I feel like oh, what a lot of uh, police officers go through on non-reserve situations, um, I wouldn't say is lighter, but definitely you're not, um, what's, what's the word? It's just like you're, you're a little more censored, you know what I mean? So uh, the things that you'll see on a reserve, um, you're going to get like a, a quick, you know, put in the fire of like how to do your job. And with that, I think I, I, I know, you know, when you go through a lot of trauma and you have a lot of hardships in your life, you actually build a thick skin to it where you become a bit desensitized mm -hmm. too. And I think that's a form of um, a protection mechanism that yeah. we have in us. Um, so I wanted to make sure to incorporate that into Sam's character on tribal is that, you know, she's coming to a man's world, a white man's world. And as a woman who's not being taken seriously, but I didn't want her to be too phased by it because of her experiences that she already experienced on the rest. She was already thick skin. So she's not going to be easily phased by all this BS happening to her. I loved your character there. And I loved how cool Michelle Thrush was as well yes. in that series. So if you haven't checked out Tribal, 
please, I'm encouraging everybody who's listening to go check it out. And speaking of, of like anger and warrior spirit, I actually am excited to share this part. I've been waiting to to talk about this next um, aspect is your role in red girls reasoning. Now, what a badass short film. Big shout out to Elmaya Tailfeathers. Right? She's an actress, producer, filmmaker. Um, and this, this short film is about violence towards um, Indigenous women, but also a vigilante. And I think it's really going to help bring us back full circle to what we've been discussing about how Jessica Matten, who she was before she became an actress and how she prepares herself for her roles and how the roles that she, um, I guess, is gifted is really a result of the path and the journey that she's on to make a positive impact for Indigenous women and girls throughout Turtle Island. So I want to show the trailer. So bear with me while I set this up. I have to show this. I have to play it. It's well worth it. So here we go. Check this out real quick. path for six long lonely years but white boys have been having their way with indian girls since contact forget what disney tells you pocahontas was 12 when she met john smith it's pretty little lies like this that hide the ugly truth My clients come to me with their requests for justice when the justice system fails them. This business of revenge is both a calling and a curse. Jeez. That crotch stop was my idea. I was like, my Are you serious? I was like, since contact, get it? And she was like, okay, yeah, you could do it. I was like, yes. Whoa. Like, if that's not badass, if that's not anger in your warrior spirit in one, I mean, we got a motorcycle rolling up in leather, kung fu moves, kicking ass. Damn. And for those who haven't seen it, it's a short film. It's 10 minutes long. Uh, you can rent it or buy it on Vivo. Um, it was the best $4 I've ever rented. It was well worth it. So I'm encouraging everybody to check it out. And on top of that, that um, Red Girls Reasoning was also uh, awarded in the Imaginative Film Festival, as well as Women in Film and Television Vancouver Spotlight Awards. And this is back, what, 2012 and 2013. So what was your experience like being on set for Red Girls Reasoning? That was my first job as a lead. And um, we shot it over two days. And this is so wild. I remember getting that script and I had seen nothing like it. And yet it was my dream script. I was like, this is like Kill Bill meets Sin City. Facts. Like, oh, you know, and <laughs> I was like, oh, like it's just <laughs> like, oh, I need this so much, you know? And I was like, I know her. I know her. Mm -hmm. and that was my first introduction to Maya Tailfeathers. And it was crazy because I remember going to the audition room and Elmaya, you know, she's, She's something so special, you know, she's a friend of mine and she's, she seems small and timid, timid, but she is one of the most intellectual, powerful women that I know in, on this wow. life. Amazing. I, and I'm so grateful to her because you know, what happened is that film is the reason why I ended up in Frontier. Whoa. So yes, facts. So this is what I mean. You never, 
everything, like you said, you connect with people for a reason and you don't mm-hmm. necessarily know in the moment what it means until later down the line. The so um, when the original auditions came out for Frontier, uh, all, all the indigenous actresses got the same script, which was kind of like this Pocahontas scene. Mm. And I didn't know this at the time, but you know, amazing, powerful Elmaya, she was so pissed off by the sides that she actually took the initiative to write to the producers of the show and say, this is unacceptable. This is a stereotype. You have no idea the facts, blah, 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 blah. blah. And um, she was like, I'm gonna show you an example of what a powerful warrior could look like. Mm. I happen to have done the short film. Whoa. She sent that to them and the producers were like, that's that's the essence of Sokanon. That's the essence of the person we want, but like in the 1800s. So um, a lot of people don't know this, but I was actually the first person cast onto that show even before Jason Momoa because they weren't sure if they about him. Yeah, so... um, I like I tell Maya like you know I bow down to her to this day I it's just the power of the doing that she create created um, and what she continues to do for our community is incredible because there's a fearlessness behind her where she's she does it you know she she doesn't let whatever um, inner dialogue that happens in her head stop her from overcoming her own fears and she makes it happen. And, you know, I'm not surprised where she is today and where she will continue to go because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm so grateful. I feel in a lot of ways, had she not created a red girl's reasoning, I don't know if this necessarily would have been my journey to where I am right now. Interesting. That's what I mean. We're all connected. Isn't that all connected? Beautiful. I love it. I love it so much. So crazy. Um, so I think, I'm hearing a definition from this session that we've just had on this no blueprint episode with you. Um, Let me know if you agree with it. Leadership is the act of doing. Yes. And leadership is the act of doing leadership is the act of having allies Mm. sincerely supporting one another. That's another thing. It's like this whole crabs in a bucket mentality. Right. As a people, we really need to get rid of that. Real talk. You're a small population as it is. We don't have the capacity like um, the Black Lives Matter movement. We don't have that kind of population to, you know, uh, make change happen on such a, a rapid. Well, it's not rapid for them. I mean, it's been hundreds of years of slavery. But you know what I mean? We're a smaller group of people. So that's why it's so much more important for us to support each other and not say it and don't post about it. Mean it. Right. Do it. I agree with that a hundred percent. Like one of the main principles my mother raised me on was intentions. What are your intentions in everything that you do? And, you know, through my journey of this journey of being an artist and achieving level, a certain level of success, wherever you want to want to articulate it, Um, definitely those crabs in the bucket have been part of that journey a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I had to sit with that for a long time. Like it really, first of all, to have our own people throw hate or throw shade is really difficult, especially when your passion is to help the people. Right. So when that's happening to you, it really took a toll on me specifically. And it took some really deep digging for me to realize, okay, that was a episode of depression. Like you were afraid to go out in public. I wouldn't say afraid, but you didn't want to go out in public. Um, You weren't doing the things that you normally would do. And it just prevented you from like manifesting what your life was supposed to be at that time. So I was like, okay, I'll accept that. And then I started thinking, well, how am I going to stop what's being said? Or how am I going to prevent this hate from continuing? What am I going to do about it? And so I sat with myself on it and I can't help but hear Andrew Menard um, from our episode when she talked about um, whispers and those whispers are the ancestors speaking to you or it's the creator speaking to you. And that happens when you go into those places of solitude and, and quietness and you're able to hear those voices. So I went within myself and then it clicked. 
I reflected on a lot of the teachings my mother, shout out to Cleo Big Eagle, has provided for me. There's no teaching that will teach you to hate. I was like, yeah, so I don't need to get upset. That's their problem. I was like, wow, this was such like, it was so freeing for me to feel that. And then I was able to pick myself back up. Then I was able to be like, you know what, Justin? You got to keep sticking to your purpose. You got to keep moving forward and doing the things that you got to do. And because of that, I was able to do this no blueprint, to be honest. I was able to have the audacity and the, the perseverance and the determination to be like, okay, I'm willing to go back in public again. And I have a new spirit. I have a new energy about me because I'm not worried about hate anymore because there's no teaching that's going to teach you that when it comes from an indigenous perspective. So it was really uh, freeing to feel that. And I think I'm just, I'm just piggybacking off a lot of the things that you said. You know, we talked about crabs in the bucket. We talked about leadership. We talked about leadership is the act of doing and the act of allyship and helping building each other up. So I think one of the last questions I would love to ask you, Jessica, is what can men do to support our women? Oh, that is, you know what? I think this is one of the missing pieces to helping to mend our broken communities. Men are so important. Men are so needed. Men are so cherished by us women. Maybe that's something that we don't say enough as women. Um, but with that, there's so much power behind words. And the best thing that men can do is not to take their anger and frustrations and their childhood trauma out on the women in their lives, because there, there is, and I could, you know, I, I've studied this, I've studied it for most of my life, but there is a connection between all of our women going missing and murdered um, and them having low self-esteem and running away from abusive situations and that's where I feel like our men should be protecting us. We need our men. And I feel the importance is men teaching their boys, their sons to honor and sincerely cherish and love their woman. And trust me, there's going to be a reverse effect if that happens. You know, you hear a lot, oh, she's crazy. She did that. She did that. She's reacting that way because she's being provoked. She's reacting crazy because she is responding to something that is happening to her. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Total so, sense. So that's one thing too, is I, I don't appreciate when other people call women crazy. I don't believe that. Women are some of the most emotionally intelligent human beings in the world. I rely so heavily on the female support in my life. I am who I am because of the girlfriends in my life, the indigenous female allies I have in my life, I cherish women so much. And I think if our men literally start working in circles and within the community to really uplift our women, there's going to be a beautiful shift. And it's only your woman's happy. Women are happy in the communities. You're going to be happy because there's going to be less fighting. There's going to be less disagreements, less pettiness, everything that's negative again, I go back to why we need to all come together, why we really need to support each other. And, you know, tying back to the concept of leadership, my whole thing in life is I stay in my lane and I try to pick people up as much as I can on my way as I go. Mm. Amazing. I think there's so much more that we can talk about, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to dive into this anyways. There was something that you said um, in more than one of your interviews um, when it comes to, you know, this, I, when it comes to pipelines and when it comes to why we protest, it's not just a protest about the land and, uh, and that kind of that whole topic. It actually has to do with the man camps that get set up around these pipelines. And so all of the people who are protesting are not just protesting to protect the land, but they're also protesting, protect our women, our sisters and our mothers. So I wanted to, um, I guess, give you an opportunity to elaborate on that a little bit, just to kind of full circle, because I think that's such a, an important thing that you've been bringing up. And I think it's an important message that people need to hear. Thank you. Thank you for bringing it up again, because 
I've always had a fascination of why things happen. Where is it connected? Where is it coming from? And as we know, and what we're taught is everything is connected. So one thing has a ripple effect and is happening from all other directions too. So even my degree is, uh, I have a science degree in human ecology. So it's about looking and understanding all the micro, macro, environmental, psychological, socioeconomical factors that shape a person to end up in the situation that they're in. Mm. So I thought about that a lot based on, you know, the teachings of Bev Jacobs, um, my mother, Teresa Ducharme, Negan, and um, just sitting through all of these conferences and meetings and debriefings of um, what the victims of families of MMIW and MMIWG have gone through, it really made me realize that there was a pattern. And that is, um, you know, just you know, when we're talking about protesting against pipelines and, you know, protecting our lands and all that, you know, with that, it's like if our land is exposed um, to non-Indigenous people coming in who don't understand the concept of respecting the land, respecting the people, you're just inviting a whole pack of abuse, in my opinion, you know, abuse of the land, abuse of our women who are already over-sexualized as it is. Um, so that's why I, you know, with the interviews that you found, it's, it's like, that's how I correlated um, why our protectors at the front lines of these protests matter and are so important. And it's just not the men doing it. Obviously, it's young kids standing up for our rights. But I want them to also understand how big of warriors they really are, that they are helping to protect our girls and women from having to constantly endure this. They're helping to break the cycle, the cycle of abuse within our communities and outside, you know, coming into our communities. So that's what I was meaning by that. Appreciate you sharing that. And you're reminding me of one of the things that I feel the creator taught me about what it means to be a man. And that role is to love and protect. Whether that's loving and protecting your family, loving and protecting yourself, but we have to love and protect our women. And we have to, we have to heal ourselves first so that we can do that work in a good way. So you were raised so right. You were raised so right. <laughs> but that's because I was raised by women. I have a lot of women in my circle. So again, blessings to our female leaders out there. Yes. And, you know, I, 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 I acknowledge our women so much. And I also want to acknowledge the beautiful fathers that also raised amazing sons. You know, it's, it's as much as I cherish the female leaders, I, I also don't want to not acknowledge all the beautiful fathers that have been present and did their best with their children as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of obstacles, especially on our, you know, in our communities dealing with this whole concept of toxic masculinity and all that mm -hmm. stuff. But again, I just want to, um, I just really want to acknowledge the fathers that um, made sure that that wasn't a part of their children's upbringings. Because at the same time, I know so many amazing men who were raised by good fathers in our communities. And, and that's the thing too. It's like, I think as women, we also have to make sure that we're not bashing the men who are doing the work, who are doing the healing. Thank you. So in closing, what is next for Jessica Madden? I have a film premiere. It was going to be my first red carpet Hollywood premiere that wow. is now not happening because of COVID. Ah. <laughs> August 7th. Um, wow. So I did this film in South Africa and it's based on a, graphic novel adaptation called The Empty Man. So it's a thriller. And um, I just want to say, you know, I love the director, David Pryor, who cast in me because I was the best actress for the role, not because of how I looked like necessarily, not because of my Amazing. diversity. So he did it before this whole diversity movement. And, um, you know, I, I just appreciate the foresight he had in casting me for that. So that's next. Um, I have to come back to Canada soon and do my two week quarantine to film the second season of tribal. Um, we're going to have 10 episodes. That's yes. 
the new announcement. Maybe APTN will kill me for announcing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, hey. uh, so I'm, I'm excited for those two projects. And, you know, um, there's some other films that they're trying to figure out how to um, get me involved in because of COVID. Uh, but I'm excited for those films too. They have beautiful messages. And um, I'm just super grateful for the people that are really supportive of including Indigenous people more into their storylines. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's such a hard time in the world right now. But I think the key is for all of us is to try to find that silver lining, just like how you were able to create this podcast and look at like this beautiful connection, right? So again, I think that's what we all just need to focus on right now to keep us all afloat. Amazing. There you have it. No Blueprint episode 10 featuring Jessica Matten. So delighted, so grateful, and so uplifted to be able to have this conversation with you to connect and hear your story. So again, thank you for being here with us. Appreciate you a lot. You as well. Thank you for all your powerful messages and all you do. And I know that our connection now will be a partnership and we don't know where that's gonna go, but it's gonna we're gonna help we're gonna help people with it. Let's rise our people up. Namaste. <laughs> you sound like Buddha now. <laughs> Wash day. Thanks again, Jessica. We'll connect soon. Thanks. Bye.